0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. with a capital B, capital T, and a capital UK, or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now, on with the show. Our star of the show this week is a woman called Sarah Guppy, who was born in 1770. But what else happened that year? Well, the 19th of April saw the first voyage of Captain James Cook, the English explorer, and his crew aboard HMS Endeavour. They became the first recorded Europeans to encounter the eastern coastline of the Australian continent. Later that same year, on the 10th of June, Cook discovered the Great Barrier Reef, when HMS Endeavour runs aground on it. The 28th of April, David Hartley, leader of the Cragvale Coiners, is hanged near York. The Cragvale Coiners, sometimes the Yorkshire Coiners, were a band of counterfeiters in England, based in Cragvale, near Hebden Bridge, West Riding of Yorkshire. They produced debased gold coins in the late 18th century to supplement small incomes from weaving. During September... The Royal Clarence Hotel in Exeter is advertised as a hotel, perhaps the first use of the word in England. And lastly, during that year, the chemist Joseph Priestley recommends the use of rubber as an eraser to remove pencil marks. But we'll be talking about a little known legend called Sarah Guppy, born Sarah Maria Beach in Birmingham on the 5th of November, 1770 when the Industrial Revolution was powering its way through the northern and midland counties of England, switching the focus from the agricultural to the industrial. Word of the Week This week's word is used during filmmaking, and it is... Juicer. A juicer refers to an on-set electrician, which is one of the most important roles on set, as there's typically a lot of power required to operate all of the various pieces of equipment associated with shooting a film. Sarah's father, Richard Beach was a wealthy brass founder and sugar importer, and she grew up surrounded by the prosperous new class of Bristol merchant, keen not only to flaunt their new wealth, but to improve the lot of the people of Bristol and the county in general. Little's really known of her early life, but she was the middle child of two brothers, Richard and John, and her mother was called Mary. In 1795, She married a wealthy builder of agricultural machinery, Samuel Guppy, a man 15 years older than her, on the 22nd of February, 1795. Sarah was 25 years old, and she immediately immersed herself in his trade, helping to run the business and negotiating contracts, but also turning her hand to the practicalities of engineering. Her first son was born later that year, and they eventually went on to have six children, and mixed with other wealthy families who were part of the exciting new mercantile and innovative society of early 19th century Bristol. Samuel had fingers in many pies, from nail manufacture to the sale of tea and Sarah seemed to have taken an interest in it all. Success came quickly when Samuel's interest in a new method of producing flat-headed nails led to a contract to provide copper versions for attaching anti-fouling copper plates to the hulls of ships. Sarah took charge of the negotiations, making the guppies between 20 pounds and £40,000, roughly 2 to million in today's money. When you look back over Sarah Guppy's life, it's quite obvious that her time working with her husband and learning about engineering set off a spark for her love of the subject, and her practical interest in engineering became very clear in March 1811. Now before I go on, it's worth noting that women in this period couldn't own property in their own name. This included patents which were considered to be intellectual property, which might have some value. So when in 1811, when her youngest daughter was just one, Sarah patented. A new mode of constructing and erecting bridges and railroads without arches or stirlings, whereby the danger of their being washed away by floods is avoided. I do fix or drive a row of piles with suitable framing to connect them together and behind these I do fix or drive and connect other piles or rows of piles and suitable framing or otherwise upon the banks of the said river or place. Sarah's idea was to create a suspension bridge across a river. This bridge would be suspended on chains held taut between piles driven into each riverbank, thus removing the need for piers in the river which might be washed away or crashed into by passing ships. She didn't stop at paper designs, but promptly started raising subscriptions for a bridge to be built at Hotwells, producing a detailed model to demonstrate the effectiveness of her design. Sadly though, despite her own investment in the project, the bridge was never built. And to give you an idea of how ahead of her time she was, Isambard Kingdom Brunel was only five when Sarah patented the suspension bridge idea, and it was seven years before Thomas Telford started work on the suspension bridge over the Manet Straits. When he began work on the bridge, she allowed Telford to use the design for free, sharing her knowledge for the greater good.
1: (laughs) Word on the street
0: kind of hoping that there'd be a road or something named after Sarah Guppy but there isn't. There is one that's named after Telford and there's two that are named after Brunel. And so this week we stroll down Brunel Lock Road in the centre of Bristol. The lock designed by Brunel lies alongside this road. The previous lock was getting too small for the job And in 1844, Brunel was invited by the Dock Company to produce an estimate for the work. However, they were reluctant to pay for it. Meanwhile, the inadequacy of the old lock was demonstrated when the coping stones had to be removed to allow the SS Great Britain to fit through. The Dock Company came to their senses and the new lock was finally completed in 1849. Brunel also built the hydraulically operated swing bridge, which passes over the lock. The bridge uses a tubular steel frame, a mode of construction subsequently, and more dramatically, used by Brunel on the bridge over the river Tamar in Saltash, Cornwall. In 1754, Bristol wine merchant William Vick died and left £1,000 in trust to the Society of Merchant Venturers in Bristol. Once this investment grew to £10,000, it was to be used to pay for a new toll-free stone bridge across the Avon Gorge at Clifton. By 1829, the fund was thought to be sufficiently mature to provide the funds for such a bridge, and a competition was set up. However, rather than a masonry bridge, a suspension bridge was specified in the advertisement. Sarah threw her considerable influence into promoting her patent for the Clifton suspension bridge. But in the end Brunel won and his design differed from Guppy's in several significant ways. It had a deck suspended from flat wrought iron bar links rather than resting on top of chains like Guppy's and it did not feature riverbed foundations which was a key in her design, as it was constructed on rock, 75 metres above high tide, where the piers were not at risk of damage from water erosion. Even though Brunel won, it didn't hamper the deep friendship that Brunel had with the Guppy family. In fact, when Sarah's son, Thomas Richard Guppy, went to work with Ittenberg Brunel, the family forged even greater links with these engineering giants. Sarah became a shareholder in the Great Western Railway, another of Brunel's projects, energetically writing to the board with suggestions such as planting trees to consolidate unstable railway cuttings. And her son Thomas provided ideas for Brunel's great marine projects, the SS Great Western and the SS Great Britain. Around 1826, along with his brother Samuel, Thomas bought Fryer's Sugar Refinery in Bristol, which they carried on successfully for several years. But his first love was engineering, and so in 1830 he joined up with his embarking Brunel, however, and started a company for constructing a railway from Bristol to London. Thomas inherited his mother's love of engineering and invention, and when you put that together with his father's business sense... You have a great combination. The Guppies were also close family friends of Thomas Telford, the road and tunnel engineer, though there is, however, no evidence that her invention was ever acknowledged by either men. Sarah Guppy wasn't one to boo-hoo into a cup of tea after losing the suspension bridge competition, in fact, with the support of her husband, Sarah went on to apply for ten patents. She threw herself into the new, improving atmosphere of the era, dashing off letters to Lord Liverpool, suggesting reform of the Smithfield meat market and proposing a recycling scheme for piles of manure that lined the Turnpike roads. She hadn't given up on inventing, taking out a patent for what might be considered the forerunner of the teas made. It was a coffee and teapot that also steamed the breakfast eggs and kept the toast warm. Sometime before 1800, Sarah published a book, Mrs. Guppy's Dialogues for Children. She then published volume two in 1800. They were described as being instructive and entertaining and any profits made from the sale were sent to a charity school for girls in Bristol. She also wrote The Cottager's and Labourer's Friend, again as a charitable fundraiser. Sadly, Sarah's own family life proved less than happy. Samuel became estranged from his dynamic wife, who was equally at home corresponding with members of the government, discussing important plans with the great engineers of the day, or working in his metal goods warehouse. Sometime in the 1820s, Samuel appears to have left Sarah and wound up his business, dying shortly after. After Sarah's husband died, she inherited the family house and what was left of Samuel's estate. She went straight back to work, this time patenting a new bed designed to reduce dust collection and improve ventilation. She was... Always keen to improve every aspect of her invention, and so this bed included an under mattress storage and even an exercise machine for those unwilling or unable to rise from her ingenious device. Her final patent was for a device to improve the process of caulking ships, that is, sealing the joints on ships. This idea earned her a contract from the Royal Navy that was worth about £40,000. After being a widow for seven years and aged only 67, Sarah married again, this time to one of the partners in the Bristol Mercury newspaper, Charles Eyre Coote, nephew of Lord Castle Coote and 28 years her junior, on the 29th of January 1837. This marriage, as you can imagine, was the source of much gossip in its day and ended up being one of her worst decisions because Charles was a gambler and had quickly spent his wife's fortune. For a while they lived at Arna's Court in Brislington, but Charles ran through his rich wife's money at a rapid rate, spending it on horses and generally neglecting her. So Sarah separated from him and moved into Seven Richmond Hill in Clifton in 1842. She brought the land opposite the house for the benefit of Clifton residents, and it still remains a green space. Even as her once considerable fortune dwindled before her eyes, she continued to come up with new ideas, such as improved fire hoods and candle holders. She died aged 82 on the 24th of August, 1852, with just £200 to her name. She's buried in St Andrew's churchyard in Bristol. Her husband survived her by just over a year. Coote collapsed and died on Park Street in Clifton on the 22nd of November 1853. P.C. Robert King found him on the corner of Frogmore Street looking tipsy and offered to walk him home for his safety. And so very slowly they made their way up Park Street and Charles mentioned that he had had a couple of glasses of wine. They got to the corner of Park Lane when Charles passed out and fell asleep. So PC King then got some help and a stretcher and took Charles to the Clifton police station. At 4.50am Charles sighed very heavily and PC Thomas Phillips went to check on him, seeing that Charles looked very ill. And so he called for the surgeon, Mr Ralph Montague Bernard, who immediately saw that Charles's heart had stopped. When I arrived, deceased was lying on his back on the stretcher, his face very much congested, the heart had stopped acting, pupils of the eye dilated and immovable. I opened veins in both arms and the temporal artery and tried to stimulate the action of the heart by hot applications to the region of the heart and artificial respiration by pressing the chest and abdomen and by the common bellows but there was no sign of animation. I persevered till about half past six o'clock. When I found the case perfectly hopeless, there were no marks of external violence. I have no doubt he died from apoplexy.
1: The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride.
0: In today's news, a shop assistant in Bristol has stopped an armed robber by attacking him with a labelling gun. Police are now looking for a man with a price on his head.
1: Back in the Day Facts
0: Let's start off with the 29th of July, 1981. A worldwide television audience of around 750 million people watch The Wedding of Charles, then Prince of Wales, and Lady Diana Spencer at St Paul's Cathedral in London. Hailed as the fairy tale wedding of the century, events were held around the Commonwealth to mark it. Many street parties were held throughout the UK to celebrate the occasion. The couple separated in 1992 and divorced in 1996 after 15 years of marriage. On the 30th of July 1966, England defeats West Germany to win the 1966 FIFA World Cup at Wembley Stadium after extra time. On the 31st of July, 1703, Daniel Defoe is placed in a pillory for the crime of seditious libel after publishing a politically satirical pamphlet, but is pelted with flowers. The 1st of August, 1893, sees Henry Perky, a lawyer, businessman, promoter, and inventor, patent Shredded Wheat. On the 2nd of August, 1865, author, poet, and mathematics don at Oxford University, Lewis Carroll, publishes Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The book has never been out of print, and has been translated into 174 languages, and is now one of the best-known works of Victorian literature. On the 3rd of August 1998, Irish boy band Boyzone released their best-selling single, No Matter What, which was composed by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Jim Steinman. And lastly, on the 3rd of August 2021, singer Tony Bennett celebrated his 95th birthday with Lady Gaga in the first of two farewell performances at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. I'm afraid that's the end of the show for this week and I hope you agree with me that Sarah Guppy was a very unusual woman for her time. Women then were expected to dedicate themselves to domestic duties. Sarah's business acumen, inventions and interest in engineering were certainly breaking the mould. She was exceptionally well-read, talented, creative and charismatic and she'd use her talents in engineering and invention to improve the lot of other women of her era. And she didn't really brag about it. In fact, she was very humble and modest. And she once said, It is unpleasant to speak of oneself. It may seem boastful, particularly in a woman. The voice she just heard was Samantha Roberts from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, who played Sarah Guppy. And Mr. Ralph Montague Bernard, the surgeon, was played by Bradley Stoke Radio's very own Steve Shepherd. Thank you, one and all. (laughs) Actually, one more thing. I'll be taking a break for three weeks to have a summer holiday with my family. So the next episode will be released on the 28th of August. I'll still be around on the various media platforms, And I genuinely hope to see you when I come back. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you, You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.